You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. Think back to when you first got into horticulture. Do you remember the thrill of discovering a new plant? Or getting familiar with the different smells within a garden? And the satisfaction of solving a plant health problem? Do you still get butterflies in your tummy when you turn up to work each day? Or is your passion starting to fade? Is it time that you formed a habit of self-care, finding a daily joy, or connecting with nature? Which are all just words that people use for the practice of feeling good each day. It's easy to forget how lucky we are to be working on stuff that most people are lucky to be doing as a hobby after their stressful daily job. If you think about it, there's really no excuse for us to go through each day in a state of stress, swallowing down road rage, feeling butthurt by some innocuous thing a co-worker said this morning, or getting frustrated with that one staff member who's no longer a new recruit but still isn't working up to standard. Maria Fiala is the host of the Growing Joy podcast, author of Growing Joy, The Plant Lover's Guide to Cultivating Happiness and Plants, and she's also a plant killer turned passionate plant lady. In this episode, she helps us understand how to practice self-care, find joy, and connect with nature, even if those terms would usually turn us off from this sort of stuff. Because at the end of the day, no matter what you call it, we may as well feel good at work, right? Welcome to the show, Maria. Thank you for having me, Daniel. Third time's a charm after yes. we've had to reschedule this interview a couple times. <laughs> so I'd like to start this episode off by asking you a pretty broad question. What is burnout? Is it just being tired? Yeah, you know, you can see burnout as um, defined in multiple different ways and people experience it in different ways. But I think especially on the heels of the pandemic, on the heels of all of us losing boundaries between work-life balance, uh, you know, this 27, uh, 24-7 news feed that we're all kind of consuming, burnout is is in in my opinion, in my definition, far beyond just being tired. It's when your nervous system has kind of hit capacity and all of a sudden, you know, you're not able to do things that used to be able to do well. You're not able to think as clearly as you used to. Um, you know, sometimes I have a I have a history with depression. To me, a lot of symptoms between burnout and depression are similar. Um, but it's that hitting capacity where it's it's tough to do to get through your workday to get out of bed in the morning um and it's usually because your nervous system is is overstimulated and you have to come back into balance okay so the nervous system is overstimulated what are some of the things in modern life that make us feel like that like why do we get overstimulated yeah um I think first, work-life balance is so foreign to people <laughs> these days. Mm. I mean, when you think about how our parents and their grandparents, you know, used to live, you'd go to work, you'd like literally punch in and you'd punch out, right? You'd go, you'd come back, you'd not have your work email on your phone, right? We didn't have smartphones mm. back then. So there was a very clear boundary between work and and your life and living, right? So I think that boundary has been totally blurred, which allows for us to be thinking about too many things at the same time. Um, it allows for us to be overworked so much easier. It's so much easier to work an 80-hour work week when you, know, you can work at the office and then come home and then just keep working on your phone. So I think that work-life balance blur is one. I think... Um, 
the smartphones I mentioned, you know, our smartphones are, have so many deliciously addicting apps. Mm. Even if the app is just having access to your email at all times, you know, um, social media. Gosh, I love TikTok. I love it so much, and I know how bad it is for me. But TikTok makes scrolling so simple and so fun, right? Like the world mm. is at my tip, my fingertips. Um, Phone usage, screen usage has gone up for all of us, especially on the heels of the pandemic. Um, the fact that we can turn on a TV and see what is happening in the world, across the world at any given time, that is overstimulating to us. Our nervous systems are not designed to experience the 24-7 news feed, right? Yet mm -hmm. we can we can see what's going on at any part of the world at any time. Um, so I think it's this combination of, you know, if you think about our grandparents, grandparents, right? The, you know, the, the grandparents, 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 our ancestors, mm -hmm. we evolved in nature. We evolved with watching trees sway in the breeze as our entertainment, watching bats in the sky or watching stars mm -hmm. in the sky. You know, um, they could go to the bathroom without opening a social media app on their phone, right? Mm -hmm. Like we can't even go to the bathroom without you know, trying to scroll and take our phones with us. So that's that's the nervous system balance I think that we're looking for. It's this concept of attention restoration theory. Can I dive into that with you yeah, for a minute? Yeah, please do. Okay. Attention restoration theory. So I wrote a book called Growing Joy, The Plant Lover's Guide to Cultivating Happiness. And it's a deep dive into exploring the science and the emotions of why plants make people happy. And when I was researching, I learned about this, I learned about this this theory really did kind of blow my mind. It changed the way I live my life. It's called Attention Restoration Theory. And uh, it was by a husband and wife scientist team, the Kaplans. And they talk about how there are two types of attention, directed and involuntary. And in order for us to have a balanced nervous system, we need to have a balance of directed attention and involuntary attention throughout our day. And normally, if you're experiencing if you're experiencing burnout, it's because you've experienced too much directed attention. And if you look at the world today, we're living in directed attention at all times. So here's the difference between the two. Directed attention is something that requires focus, something that you have to put blinders on to like very intentionally focus and execute something. So reading your emails, being on a Zoom call, paying attention, reading Facebook, right? Um, reading, watching, you know, uh, binging, you know, binging a Netflix special if you're actually paying attention. It's not just on in the background. Mm. So we only have a certain capacity for that type of attention. And if you go back to our ancestors, they didn't have, you know, all these books and social medias and shows to binge and, you know, all these things that would be taking up all of that directed attention. They had the opportunity to experience involuntary attention a lot easier than us. So involuntary attention is soft. It's also sometimes called soft fascination. So it's that thought that, you know, when you were a kid and you would lay in the grass and you would watch the clouds pass you by, you weren't like focusing so hard on watching the clouds move in the sky. It was like it, they were kind of washing over you and you were able to focus on the shape of a cloud and then kind of release it and then allow the clouds to move and you you're taking that movement in, but it was restorative. Um, if you're on a walk in the forest and a butterfly flies across your path, for a moment you're going to focus on that butterfly, but it kind of comes in 
to your senses, your periphery and out. Um, so we need both. And I think in modern society, that opportunity for involuntary attention is much harder to find. And it's actually something you have to create for yourself. And that's where exposure to nature is so important for humans in this day and age because it allows for that involuntary attention to come back into our life because we're not experiencing that when we're spending 10 hours a day on our computers or on our screens. Mm -hmm. Okay. So mindfulness is the way out of that trap. But uh, I mean, can you like help us understand a little bit deeper, like in terms of like, what is mindfulness? How do plants play into mindfulness? And is mindfulness the same thing as meditation? Oh, great question. So I would say that meditation is a tool and a subcategory of mindfulness. To me, mindfulness is reconnecting with yourself. So once again, we're living in a society where we have so many opportunities to step outside of ourselves. whether it's direct our attention to the TV, whether it's, you know, comparison syndrome because I'm scrolling on social media and all of a sudden I'm thinking about how perfect this person's life looks like compared mm. to mine. Um, I'm, you know, spending my whole life, I'm spending 80 hours on my, on my work, on my job, and I'm not filling my cup with hobbies or connection with people that really, that really makes me important. I'm not taking time in the morning. You know, remember when like you used to eat your cereal and maybe you would, you know, read the back of the cereal box. Mm. Um, that doesn't happen for us anymore. Like we don't have mindful moments in the morning anymore. Mm. So it's, it's mindful. It's being full of your mind. It's experiencing your mind, your thoughts, and also ideally the absence of your thoughts. But it's about turning back in towards yourself when society programs us to turn outward the entire time. And so there's tons of different ways to practice mindfulness all of them, it's it's simplicity. Mindfulness and simplicity, I think, also are, are interchangeable. Um, meditation is a wonderful way to practice mindfulness because you're literally just sitting, breathing, clearing your mind of thoughts, and being present with yourself. And you'll find that once you meditate, it's often a lot easier to journal or just be reacquainted with like your own organic thoughts instead of just thoughts that other people or media are forcing down your throat all day. Um, so going for a walk could be an act of mindfulness. Going on a hike, go, going and spending time in nature, meditating, wo uh, working out for a lot of people is an act of mindfulness because it kind of clears out everything around you and allows you to just focus on your body and kind of dropping in. Um, gardening is a big thing. Like anything that people say, this is my therapy, like working out is my therapy, running is my therapy, gardening is my therapy. What that really means is it's just like an opportunity for you to kind of clear your mind and touch back in in with yourself. So where nature plays into that is nature is incredibly restorative, right? Because nature is where we're going to find that involuntary attention I was talking about. There are tons of studies that talk about how nature helps decrease stress, how it helps decrease cortisol in your body. Cortisol is the stress hormone. So um, nature, it's just, it's easy to be mindful in nature. It's easy to go for a walk in nature and leave your phone at home. Um, it's easy, you know, it's really hard for a lot of people to meditate. That's why I think meditation isn't, isn't the right mindful tool for a lot of people because if people choose between 
watching TV and meditating. They're probably a lot of, I know a lot of people that will choose watching TV because meditating is too scary to just like be in the absence of your thoughts for an extended period of time. But that's where nature comes into play because it's my argument that gardening and caring for houseplants is a moving meditation. It's a way to be mindful. It's a way to connect with your breath. It's a way to connect with yourself in what I feel like is a little bit less of a intimidating practice because you don't have to be completely still and the fly lands on your nose and you can't acknowledge the fly. I I have a deep meditation practice. I love meditating, but I have also have a love-hate relationship with meditation. So (laughs) I understand those people that don't like it. Um, You know, watering your houseplants can be incredibly meditative and incredibly restorative and incredibly mindful. Um, But it's, to me, a little bit more accessible than some of the uh, stereotypical, quote-unquote, mindful, quote-unquote, self-help, you know, um, self-care practices that are touted all over the internet and in a lot of books, you know? Yeah, my wife used to like the term self-care and I used to really resist against it because I used to feel like um, I, I just self-care just sounds like a chore. And then she said to me, all right, well, let's swap that word out for enjoyment then. What do you enjoy doing? And that really made a difference for me. Absolutely. And that's why my book and my brand is called Growing Joy and not Growing Mindfulness because I think at the end of the day, that's what we're all looking for. We're all looking to be happy. We're all looking to experience joy and we're all looking to experience connection. I think connection is the key to mindfulness and joy, whether you're learning to connect with yourself or you're experiencing true connection with others or with nature. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think self-care is kind of stigmatized right now too because, you know, I think a lot of people think self – in order to do self-care, you have to buy really expensive tools. You have to buy <laughs> – right? Like you have to buy fancy face masks and expensive bath salts and the yeah. red light mask for your skin and you have to, you know, go on expensive wellness retreats and, you know, um, it that feels very inaccessible. Um, but I also think that, like I said, we have to remind ourselves to find that those moments of involuntary attention. I think we also have to remind ourselves to take care of ourselves in uh, in these in these times. So I totally I totally hear the resistance to self care because if you're putting another chore on your list of <laughs> chores to do, that is not going to be enjoyable. But exactly. A lot of people might not even look at gardening as self-care. They're just going to look at it as their fun time, their joy, their mm. joyful hobby, right? But that's what we're all getting. That's what we're all yeah. hoping to find more of. Okay, so I understand mindfulness now. I, I need to switch off from the machines. I need to get my hands in the soil. I need to look at plants. I need to have that soft focus. All right, I understand that now. So is that a shortcut for actually doing that work? Uh, what do you mean by is that a shortcut? Okay, so I already understand it. Intellectually, I know it's a thing and I'm not going to do anything about it. Oh, okay, got it. So how do you start practicing these concepts? I'm just saying that in my mind that that's sometimes how I approach this mindfulness stuff and this self-care stuff. I got it. You know what I mean? Okay, yes, yes. Like you get it, but it's not uh, sticky enough. It's not (laughs) sticky enough to convert. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. but you noticed that when you were able to approach it from a place of joy, finding more joy in mm. your life, 
it was able to convert, right? Mm. And I think that's why I resist against that term of self-care because it, it feels like a long way away from joy. It does feel like a chore. And that's not what I want to do. I don't want to add chores to my life. I want to add meaning. I want to add enjoyment, that joy, and also just the peace from the everyday world, which sometimes can become exhausting. Oh my God. Yeah. So throw the word self-care out the window and never look at it again. Right. (laughs) And I think that's the beauty of houseplants and gardening is your garden looks so different from my garden, right? Your houseplant collection looks so different than mine. And we probably approach our plant care and our hobby for gardening in very different ways. And I think, you know, you can translate that like every single plant parent on the earth is taking a little bit different care of their plants than every other person, right? Because we all have individual environments. We all have, you know, different microclimates, different amounts of sun in our gardens. We have different amounts of humidity indoors, right? So take that. And, and, you know, as a horticulturist, as a, as a plant person, can, can you agree with me on that point? Absolutely. Yeah. It's one of the most enjoyable things is to take the headphones out and just prune a rose. It's just, exactly. it's peace. So then don't look at it as self-care and look at it as joy, right? Mm. Like I think you have to just figure out what works and what converts for you. And a lot of that is the language, right? Mm. It's it's you cho- literally choosing the word joy instead of self-care. It's that simple. Um, what am I going to do to bring more joy to my life today instead of you know, putting the putting joy on your to-do list, right? <laughs> Maybe it's not that. So you've got to figure out, and I think that is step one of this whole process, right? Is, okay, what, how do I f- structure this or how do I phrase this for myself um, in a way that makes me do give a shit, right? Like mm. that makes me do care so that I can build some successful routines around this so that I can commit so that I can prioritize this and not view it as a chore because let's be real, the minute you put anything as a chore uh, is the minute you don't do it anymore. I mean, I know that's how I used to have a relationship with working out. When working out was a chore, it was something I had to do. I never did it. But once I started once I got a Peloton and started working out because I really enjoyed how I felt after, then it's like, you can't not get me off. Mm-hmm. You can't cancel my workout mm-hmm. on me, right? Because it's like so important to me. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's good to redefine those terms if, it, if they're not working for you. I think also plants are innately healing when we can have that soft focus on them. But a lot of people, and I was included in this, are going to work every day as a professional gardener or a horticulturist I think for someone like me, I was a maintenance gardener. Now, in the maintenance garden game, particularly in domestic maintenance gardens, every second is timed. So mm. you're always trying to beat that clock in terms of getting a good time on that job so that you 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 look good in the in the workflow for the boss. Now, sometimes it was so rushed that a lot of the time I would be eating my lunch in the work ute, which is the utility vehicle, uh, which is a vehicle that has a tray on the back. Um, you guys probably call them trucks, mm-hmm. but you know, that rush, 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 you never get a chance to actually really heal. And over time I actually learned the value of a lunch break and really actually taking that lunch break to sit, feel yes. the breeze on your face. What other tips do you have for someone working in the field who maybe doesn't feel that connection with plants anymore, but would like to get back to that mind state? Oh, I love this question. Okay. Two things come to mind. Number one, and this is something that I've had to learn too as I've become a professional plant, you know, plant lady podcaster and I start doing plants full time. What I've realized is I need to have plant projects that I don't share about publicly. 
And for this, that'll look different if you're like a landscaper or you're going, you know, and working day to day with plants. But do you have a plant project that has nothing to do with whatever type of work you do? If you're a landscaper, do you have a house plant? You know, mm-hmm. for me, if I'm a house plant person, am I doing something in my garden that I've never done before? And I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm having so much fun figuring it out. And I'm not videoing it. Like I'm mm-hmm. not sharing with my audience that I tried growing garlic this year or, you know, whatever it is. Because I think um, – a lot of people get into horticulture or what I've, I'll just speak to my experience, but mm-hmm. I launched my podcast and my brand because I am so in love with plants and they're what I wanted to spend my life engaging with. And I wanted to help millions do the same. And that's why I thought, okay, I'll make plants my job. I'll make this podcast my job. But once you monetize your hobby, once you monetize your passion, um, it changes. And all of a sudden, you have deadlines and you have sponsors. I mean, once again, I'm speaking for myself, but I would assume, you know, once you've planted 400 trillion landscape plants, you're probably less excited about doing your own landscape or your own, you know, once you're pruning eight hours a day, uh, it's probably harder for you to do that. So I think finding a sacred thing that has nothing to do with your job, whatever it looks like, whatever, you know, in whatever capacity you're in the horticulture field, keeping it for yourself and ideally doing it before you go to your job, because I have a feeling you're probably tired when you get back, Mm. um, especially if you've been outdoors all day. I think that's really important. Or even if it's something you do on the weekends, like on your off days, right? But having something that you can root into on a weekly basis to remind you why you do this, I think is really important. Um, if that sounds like a chore, which I totally get, you're like, you're like, um, F you, like, I don't want more, I don't want to deal with more plants. I totally hear you. So then the question becomes, okay, well, while I'm on the job, how can I engage all my senses again? How can I not feel rushed doing these things that I was so excited to get into this industry to do? And how, how can I bring mindfulness back to this job that I'm beginning to resent or beginning to Mm. get fed up with. So, you know, uh, when I talk to my listeners about houseplants and figuring out watering, I say that there's two different ways that you can measure moisture in your soil. You can jab your finger into the soil and you can you know, jab your finger in, pull it out, leave a gaping hole in the soil and, you know, figure out whether or not you need to water your soil, right? That takes four, you know, four seconds. You can spend five seconds. You can do it in the same amount of time, actually, I'm going to argue. Or you can have a mindful moment where you gently put your finger in the soil. You feel the soil in between your two fingers. You rub the soil between your two fingers. You really feel the sensation. Maybe you smell it, right? Maybe you, I'm not going to advocate tasting your soil, but I'm thinking, okay, how many, how many senses can we engage in this moment, right? So an easy way to bring mindfulness to anything that you're doing is do a quick checklist of, okay, what scent? What sense can I engage a little bit more? Um, for me, with my gardening experience, scent is a very underutilized sense. That's kind of a a tongue twister. Um, But maybe, you know, when you're working with the rose that you're pruning for a client, can you take a minute, you know, don't slow down your work. I understand the pressure, but can you take a minute to like really enjoy the scent of that rose? So yeah, I would say like trying to figure out how to re-engage your five senses in something that you used to rush through might be a really easy way to kind of bring you back, bring you back to the present. But 
you know, the biggest thing that I tell that I that I sing from the rooftops is looking at a plant before you look at a screen in the morning. Um, you know, trying to engage with nature to kind of give your nervous system that nice healing experience before you get on with your day and check the news or read the newspaper or check in on, you know, Facebook or Instagram. I think that's also another really great way to incorporate mindfulness with plants into your life, but that's not exactly pertaining to horticulture industry professionals. Mm. So I guess that's three I gave you. (laughs) I I really like what you're saying there because you're talking about using all five senses. Now there's a Mm -hmm. buzz term in the industry. It's called sensory gardens and it's really about this mindful approach. It's used in therapeutic horticulture for people who have disabilities, who uh, have a sickness or an illness children, people who are elderly. Basically, what we're doing with this act of mindfulness, which we call sensory gardening, is we're just really providing some space around our everyday activities. Now, we still have to do those everyday activities. We still have to make money and do all those things. But it just adds like a layer of air around everything. And it's just helps you be much more peaceful as you approach them, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's a dream. I wish everyone could have a sensory garden, right? Don't you mm. wish that? How yeah. how much kinder would the world be if we all had some form of a sensory garden to retreat to every day? <laughs> and if we used it too, because it's one thing to yes. have the sensory garden, yes. but as I said before, you can understand it intellectually, but you have to actually do this stuff. And that's why sometimes... Once I'm always thinking about like what's accessible, what isn't, and maybe mm. the sensory garden isn't accessible, but like maybe you could have a begonia on your windowsill mm. and you can engage your – or let's go Hoya. I'm like, what can you taste indoors? <laughs> an herb. Maybe you can have an herb plant, right, on your windowsill. Mm. And that's your five senses right there. You can You can do your five senses on your windowsill while you make your coffee in the morning. And it's not this whole thing that you have to leave and go outside and go in your garden and do this whole thing and you have to meditate and, oh my God, here's the list of things you have to do. Like maybe it's as simple, especially for like busy horticultural industry professionals, like maybe it's putting rosemary on your windowsill and in the morning when you're making your coffee or your tea, you go over, you smell it, you feel the soil, you feel the leaves, you know, maybe Mm. you can taste one of the, you know, taste one of the leaves, um, but how, you know, how can you simplify it for yourself so it doesn't end up being a chore? I think that's very mm. important. And maybe also you're sick of plants. <laughs> you just can't bear to look at plants again in the morning. If It doesn't yeah. have to be a plant. A plant is a great thing to use. It can also be a candle, like a flame. You can just look at that for 15 100%. minutes. 100%. A hundred percent. It can be essential oils too. Mm. Like it could be a candle. Um, it could be, yeah, whatever. It, once again, it goes back to that like, what would make you happy here? <laughs> would a candle make you happier than a plant? Then do that and just ha- make sure that the candle has essential oils and, you know, it's a, it's a nice candle, you know? Uh, those are plant – essential oils are plant, are plant oils, right? Like that's engaging mm. with nature. Um, what would make you happy? And I think that's the beauty of, of this whole practice is it's different for everybody. Um, it's, just, it's just what would bring you joy and peace, exactly those two words that you stated earlier. So I'm going to be a bit of a hypocrite here and talk about meditation. Look, I have had a meditation practice throughout my life. It kind of comes and goes. But I do notice that even if I don't feel like meditating, my day and the subsequent days usually are better if I'm meditating every day. The difference is it's kind of like a clenched fist versus a relaxed fist. So it's kind of like 
it just relaxes your mind. And even though it is a chore, and I have to admit that it is a chore, it's more like going to the gym for your brain, just in terms of um, it's a it's a practice. It's not like a quick fix, I guess. It's flossing. It's it's flossing yeah. for your brain. I've loved that term about meditation. Mm. It's not fun. <laughs> Mm. It's not fun, but it's so good. And I agree with you that you genuinely feel different. And I, you know, once again, I talk about looking at a plant before you look at a screen in the morning, like engaging with nature Mm. before you engage with the outer world. There is a marked difference in my day when I take five minutes to engage with, to water my plants or to, you know, light a candle or do something for myself and with and nature related uh then when i just get up and my phone alarm goes off and i'm on instagram immediately like there is a marked difference and uh yeah no one likes flossing but you <laughs> floss cuz you have to yeah. <laughs> you know it's it's very similar i want to bring it back to what you said earlier on in the episode too where you've got like walking meditations so yeah, you can stick your finger into the ground in an angry, rushed way, or you can stick your finger into the ground in a patient, mindful way where you're feeling it, where you're really taking in the sensory experience. Now, the same can go for any garden activity at all, really. So you can be pruning the roses in an angry, rushed way, or you can be pruning them in a calm and peaceful way where you're taking in the senses. So really, I think there's no excuse for us horticulturists to ever really get stressed because we should be able to just use our practice as a grounding ritual. Yeah. And um, if the mindfulness too, like if even that feels too inaccessible, um, make a gratitude list for everything that you're pruning, say something you're thankful for. Like if, if the absence of thought is too hard, like can you do the acts that you're doing in your gardening practices in a loving, kind way that is filled with gratitude versus, you know, this what sounds like competition of that you're worried that, you know, you're going to run out of time or that someone else Mm. is going to do it faster. Like that is a very um, stress-inducing mindset to be Mm. spending eight hours of your day in. Um, So I would also offer like, you know, maybe it's just that you're flipping flipping the script and you're just adding gratitude into, into whatever you're doing. Yeah. When you're printing the roses, say thank you for your beautiful blooms. And it sounds exactly. crazy. You sound like- Thanks and, for your scent. <laughs> yeah. I know little things like that. And you just do them in private. You don't have to tell your workmate about it. You can just say it in your head. A hundred percent. Or, <laughs> you know, and if you feel silly thanking the plant, even though I think that's the most gorgeous practice you could do- Thank you for my partner. Thank you for the coffee I drank today. Thank you for the weather being so nice and not raining on me. Thank you for the roof over my head. Thank you for my pet. You know, like there's so many things in life that we have to be thankful for that we so frequently forget. And um, I think, you know, going on a little pruning gratitude rampage sounds kind of fun. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess there's two ways to do it again, isn't there? There's the fun way where it feels like you're sitting on the grass, just like meditation. You can meditate on the grass or you can meditate on a bed of nails. And I can just imagine someone like me trying to go through the day like, I'm so grateful for this. I'm so grateful for that. And just feeling like it's a chore and going through it. But it's a different feeling when you actually really relax yourself and you allow yourself to really mean those things. It like again, it's like a breath of fresh air in, in your own mind. Exactly. And uh, you know, meditation is also all about breath work and there is breath, a lot of breath involved in that 
breath of fresh air relaxation experience, you know? Mm. So I, I do think that's also, you know, where are you breathing from as you do these activities? Are you mm. breathing from your belly button or are you breathing from your shoulders? Because mm. if you're breathing in your shoulders, you're probably holding a lot of tension. That's a really good point. I think yeah. that walking around your day, just focusing on your breathing, trying to relax it, breathe all the way out, then let the breath come in. That's a technique that I learned, which is a good one. Um, get yes. all that air out of you and then just let it happen and don't try and rush through these things. Just feel your way into it. Just feel your way into that peaceful, joyful feeling. Yes. Yes. For me, also posture. That's just something I've been mm. trying to work on a lot lately, but I'm I'm like 34 and developing a hunchback. Like it's crazy because I, you know, sit at a desk all day. And so I've been going throughout the day trying to have these mindful moments of being like, okay, where's my spine? <laughs> can yeah, I take yeah. a deep breath and, you know, reset my spine? And can I remember to sit in my chair with with straight posture? And um, you know, that's actually been a very mindful practice throughout the day of just having to kind of remind myself to sit straight. <laughs> mm-hmm. It can be anything, right? Like it can literally be anything. It's whatever turns you on enough to like have you keep coming back to it, right? Like I don't want to hunchback. So that's a mindful thing that I'm doing <laughs> because that to me, that conversion is important enough. Um, so yeah, it's all about just kind of finding finding what works for you and then repeating it. Okay. I'm not the type of person who naturally gravitates towards having a schedule. Like, and this has been a strength and a weakness for me throughout my whole life. But, mm. you know, don't get me wrong, I love to get stuff done, but I, I tend to do things more when they need to or when I feel like it. Should I prioritize ritual more in my life? Yeah, because I think it goes back to what you said about your meditation practice. You know, mm. that's a meditation ritual. And when you do it, you feel better. Mm. And when you do it consistently, you feel better, right? Like there's something about routine and ritual. Our body, our nervous systems, like we like ritual. We like repetition. We like feeling safe and secure in this uh, repetition of something, right? Mm. So for me, I have like a pretty intense morning practice. I I, I love it. I get up early to do it. Um I revel in it. It brings me a lot of joy. I've gotten feedback from listeners and people who have read my book that they say, you know, I can't do a morning practice. I'm not going to get out of bed. But like I, everything you wrote about in your book, I want to do at night, you know? So maybe mm. it's a wind down process. Um, maybe Sundays are your day off and Sundays are your sacred day. So you can't do it throughout the day. Uh, sorry, on a, on a daily basis, but you can commit to doing every Sunday. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's not dogmatic. Like this is what you must do in order to live a happy life. And that's actually a bone I have to pick with a lot of people in the self-care space where you're like pushing your own agenda on people. I don't, I don't think that sticks, you know, mm. maybe someone does something for a couple of weeks because someone, a guru tells them to, and then they don't do it anymore. This is about, you finding out a way to live a happier life through making really small shifts in your life that you probably used to do. This is really more of a reminder than it is a teaching because we're all nature. We were all born. We, we are nature. We were all born with this intrinsic connection to nature. And a lot of this is just a, a memory, a remembering of you know, what used to come very naturally to us that we've gotten separated from. Um, but yeah, that ritual becomes very important. Um, you know, once again, you don't have to be insane, insanely intense about it. I 
went away for the night yesterday. So I didn't do my morning routine today and I'm not beating myself up because I had a great time and what I went away for brought me a lot of joy. So like, that's all good. But being able to anchor yourself in a routine can be a really beneficial experience, just like you spoke to your mindfulness routine. And, you know, you don't have to have a crazy two hour long morning routine the way I do, um, because that's crazy for a lot of people and a lot of people can't do that, you know? Um, but you can, you, anybody has five minutes, anybody Mm. has five minutes. Mm. Um, and you can, you can get a lot done in five minutes for your mindfulness if, if you stick to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This is a kick up the bum. I should probably be meditating every day again, because I do really enjoy that meditation. It's not just about enjoying the meditation itself. It's also about enjoying the feeling that you get for the rest of the day. So this has uh, been a good, good kick up the bum for me. Yeah. I, um, I don't know if you've ever been into the cold exposure thing, Mm. But this year, I don't know. If, have you heard about it? The cold plunge or the cold yeah. showers? The Wim Hof method, was it? Yeah, the Wim yeah. Hof method. So my husband and I got really into Wim Hof uh, in the last couple of years. And no one enjoys the experience <laughs> of taking an ice cold shower or plunging into an ice cold bath. But the euphoria that you feel after it is so addicting that that is something I've literally done every day for the last year is take a cold shower. I don't use hot water anymore. Um, and it's because it's the result of that cold shower of that two minutes of discomfort that I put myself in. My mood regulation throughout the day is so off the charts, like is so much higher. It's, or I guess not higher, but it's so much more stable that that two minutes of discomfort is so worth it to me because I know I'm going to be more awake. I'm going to be more alert. I'm not going to get thrown off by things. I'm going to be more consistent and even throughout the day. So I, I, de- I definitely agree with you about the, the meditation thing that, you know, it's not that you love the act, it's that you love the result. And sometimes the result is what needs to get you hooked so that you can actually find a way to actually enjoy the act of it, Mm. you know? I have to say one thing I do have in my life that I'm really enjoying is a walk along the Pine River every morning. Well, not every morning, most mornings, and that's a really nice one. And it can be in the afternoon too. But it's just my wife and I go for a little walk and just we walk along mangroves and uh, you get to see all types of different native plants and birds hanging around and snakes even from time to time. It's just a really beautiful thing to do in the day. And you're getting connection with nature. You're getting connection with yourself and you're Mm. getting connection with your partner. So, I mean, that's like, you're checking all the boxes with that. That Mm. sounds amazing. You're inspiring me. I should start. (laughs) My husband and I, we, we were in a, we used to take a walk through a local nature trail frequently. And, uh, we've gotten out of the habit and we both have looked at each other being like, why don't we do that anymore? It mm. used to make us so happy. Yeah. <laughs> do it. Yeah. So what other advice would you have for someone who's listening to this podcast, who already works with plants every day, whether they're working in a nursery, potting plants up, or they're talking to people about plants in a retail sales role, Like, what can we be doing to really further our connection with nature? Because I think for me, that term connection to nature can almost be a trap because it's like, oh, am I connected or am I not connected? In this moment, am I connected or not connected? Like, how, like, what does it mean to actually connect with nature and how can we practically do it? 
Yeah, love it. This is a great question. I'm trying to think about what's the best way to answer. Well, I mean, I think mindfulness is definitely answer number one. Like just finding a way to be 1% more mindful about what you're doing in your day-to-day. Mm. Um, and letting it be different, right? Like maybe one day you try engaging your sense of smell at work with the plants. Maybe one day you try engaging, you know, the gratitude thing we talked about, or maybe one day you try um, meditating in the morning, right? Like you've got to kind of throw stuff up against the wall. So the question was how to... It's a complicated one. There are about three questions in there. (laughs) Yeah. Can you repeat it? Because is it how to apply to the to your work or outside of work? Just how does someone working with plants build that connection with nature? Because connection to nature, it's, it sounds like something from a Disney movie. Like how, how do we know when we're there? How do we know when we're actually connected to nature? Got it. Okay. So I would assume that there's probably a, or I'll ask you, why did you get, why did you get involved in plants? Why did you go into the horticulture area? Perfect question. I was working in sales, Maria, and mm-hmm. uh, business to business sales, incredibly stressful. My mind was always full of like, how am I going to get the next deal? How am I going to do this? How am I going to yeah. do that? And I was like, I'm throwing all of this away and I'm just going to go and do some gardening. So, and it was what I thought. It's, um, you know, for half the day, you got really loud noise uh, machines that are really loud, but at least you're working with your hands and it's not working with your mm-hmm. brain. And then for the other half of the day, you can just feel the breeze on your face and listen to the birds while you're pruning the roses or doing something without the machines. So for mental health, that's why I got into it. Yeah. Okay. Love this. So remember that. (laughs) Go back. Yeah. I think remembering the um, inspiration for why you got into this career is so important Mm. Um, because it gives you the perspective. I mean, I bet – Whatever you might be complaining about in your day-to-day, when you remember how miserable you were in that sales job and then how you got to, like, play with plants all day today, I think that that reminder of that perspective of how far you've come is going to totally root you back into gratitude in a way that you might not. Because I think a big issue for all of us in and out of the horticulture industry is, like, we get so fixated on our day-to-day or on our minute-to-minute that like you can't see the forest for the trees or whatever that saying is. Um, So I think going back into that that inspiration for like why you're here and think about the impact that the work that you're having is going to have on people, right? If you're a landscaper, like what when people look at the flowers that you're planting, like what that impact is going to be, or if you did it, had a job well done, you know, like what is the impact that the work that you're doing is going to have on other people and helping other people connect to nature? Um, I think another thought that I had was, and this is something that, you know, I haven't written about in my book, but it's something that I've been thinking about as a professional is um, always be doing something that pushes you to continue learning. Because I think when you put yourself in the position of a student, especially when it comes to plants and nature, um, it allows for you to tap into that awe, that fascination, that awe that lights us up in a way that you might forget about once you're Mm -hmm. so used to being surrounded by plants, right? Um, I think about – like I've lately been thinking about my first six months as a plant parent because I was a – 
I was an epic plant killer before I got into this space. I launched my podcast because I could not figure out how to keep a plant alive and I needed to interview all the experts <laughs> to figure out how to do it, right? So um, those first six months of my experience caring for plants, like a new leaf unfurling, oh my God, my first fenestrated monstera leaf that unfurled was like I wanted to throw a parade for it, you know, like learning about grow lights, learning about uh, plants that flower, learning about how to water a plant, learning, remembering how, you know, um, uh, uh, what's the word, shy I was or how insecure I was about like how I could care for these plants, you know, um, remembering that now that like I could teach thousands of people how to water plants, right? I have taught thousands of people how to water plants, but thinking about that like version of myself that was so um, nervous, you know? And so recently I've actually tapped into other hobbies that are honestly outside of the horticulture space, but they put me back in that feeling of being mm -hmm. a student, of that feeling of being um, new at something. And it's actually reinvigorated my passion for plants. So this year I got into embroidery um, and learning about sewing has actually helped me remember how I used to feel when I was learning about caring for plants as like a beginning plant parent. So I think, you know, you don't necessarily, but it's because it's allowing yourself to tap into that sense of awe. So whether it's in the horticulture field, so maybe there's an aspect of horticulture that you, that you haven't learned about. Maybe you're a landscaper, but you want to learn about breeding. Um, go take a course on breeding, like go fascinate mm. yourself in a way that you haven't been fascinated because you've gotten too drudged down in the mundane of like what the, what your day-to-day -day work is. Does that make sense? It does. And I love the way that you're explaining this too, because to me, it seems that you treat your mind like a garden where you plant seeds of gratitude and you plant seeds of joy and you plant seeds of awe. And then you watch as those blossom. I think that's really cool. What a great quote. I li I'm like, can I steal that from you? That was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you have one life to live, right? So like, why not let it be good? Why not why not let it be fun? Why not let it be mm. full of joy and awe? And I a, a, another thing I preach a lot about is, you know, when we were kids, we were allowed to play. Mm. When we were kids, we were allowed to like be fascinated buy stuff. We were allowed to jump up and down and be excited. We were allowed to, um, I actually do write this about in my book, but like when I was a kid, like me and my best friend would go in our backyard and we would make mud pies and we would pretend yeah. that those mud pies were like, a you know, a fest, like a, a feast for our friends. And we would have like imaginary friends that we'd make these mud pies for and eat, you know, the local berries and stuff like that. And in a sense, us moving into horticulture, that's that's the adult mud pies, literally, mm. right? Like literally playing literally. in the mud. Um, mm. Literally and figuratively. So, <laughs> you know, um, like why not live life with that kind of childlike wonder? We get super disconnected from it, but I think that's mm -hmm. what nature gives us the opportunity to reconnect with. And I just want to take the garden analogy a step further. If you're not doing all these things that you're describing, well, then the weeds are going to pop up and, you, and you're not going to be having a good time. Exactly. So either way, it, it is a garden, whether you're treating it like a garden or not. A hundred percent. And also, I struggle with mental illness, right? Like I struggle with depression. I got weeds growing up in my brain left and right. Mm. But because 
I, you know, just to continue with this beautiful metaphor of the brain being a garden, um, because I'm paying attention, I'm able to mm. identify what's a weed and what isn't yep. and, and treat for it, um, and pull what needs to be pulled and nurture what needs to be nurtured, um, instead of completely abandoning the garden and just letting whatever run wild, because then I would be full of super invasive plants that mm. <laughs> choke everything out, you know? Yeah, I think it's easy to just blame emotions or treat them as something outside of you that you have absolutely no control over. And there might be an element of truth to that, but it's not the complete truth. You can actually start turning a ship around, even if it is a very big ship that's going to take a long time to turn it around. A hundred percent. And how beautiful that we work on a daily basis with the tools that Mm -hmm. so many people want to be able to use. I mean, you know, I have a podcast for beginners, not in your podcast is for people in the horticulture industry. My podcast is for hobbyists. I Mm. have people writing me who used to be the way I used to be, which is like, I didn't know how to water a plant. I didn't have any knowledge and had to work for it. Like everybody who listens to this show has the knowledge, knows how to care for these plants, knows how to make a beautiful sensory garden for themselves, knows how to successfully have a rosemary plant on their windowsill. So how lucky are we all to have these these tools at our fingertips that can so greatly improve our lives? And we know this because we got into this field, right? Mm, absolutely. So, Maria, at the end of every episode, I always like to ask guests one final question. Now, it doesn't have to be on topic. It can be about anything you like, even the cool skateboard trick that you learned over the weekend. Okay. What else would you like the listeners to know about? Mm. Oh, my gosh. I have to tell you what I'm going to be for Halloween. Right. So, um, well, first off, I would love – for people to know about Growing Joy with Maria. That's my brand, growingjoywithmaria.com. Mm-hmm. My podcast is Growing Joy with Plants. You can find me on Instagram at Growing Joy with Maria. But let me tell you what I'm being for Halloween. So when we're recording this episode two weeks before Halloween, um, I'm not a big ho- – do you have Halloween in Australia? I feel like some people do. It's never been – like I've – I've, I probably had 10 people knock on the door in my entire life. And I think I did it once or twice as a kid. And you see it everywhere in the shops. Everywhere's got Halloween decorations, but I don't know a single person who celebrates it. So it's kind of weird. Wow. Okay. Wild. But you've probably <laughs> seen it on like American TV shows yeah, the or something. Simpsons. Like, you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. Okay. So Halloween's pretty big in the States. <laughs> I'll, I'll say that. Um, I, though, haven't really dressed up for Halloween in like 20 years because I'm an adult and kids do Halloween, <laughs> but we're going to a Halloween party this year. And I was like, okay, well, what am I going to be? That would be fun. I go on these crafty spurts where I'll do something really crafty and make something really amazing. And then I won't do anything crafty for like six months. So I decided now for any magical beings out there, I do have an episode on my podcast called how to be a green witch. And I interviewed this woman who is a green witch. A green witch is a magical person who likes to work with the energies of plants and nature. So I'm probably not preaching to the choir with the people (laughs) who listen to this podcast. I don't know, but anyway, you know, it's cool. It's fun. Um, spiritual people who, you know, work with plants energies. So anyway, I decided that I'm going to be a green witch for Halloween this year, inspired by this episode that I did. And I went and I 
bought this like little black witch's hat, like a classic normal witch's hat. And I bought a hot glue gun and a bunch of preserved moss. And I covered the witch's hat in moss and dried flowers. And it looks amazing. That's awesome. And I'm so excited to wear it. So I'm going to be a nature green witch for Halloween in a green dress and a moss covered hat. And, um, I'm so excited. I think it's going to be really fun. But that was a really, you know, that's my Halloween costume, right? Like that's not something for my business. But gosh, I had so much fun playing with the preserved moss and my hot glue gun and this little $5 witch hat that I bought. And it really was a beautiful way for me to connect with nature in a different capacity that, you know, is kind of weird. But I just kind of let my inner child, like my young self be like, I'm going to play make-believe <laughs> yeah. with this pile of moss. Um, and it was super fun. So if people are interested to see the final result, you can check me out on Instagram at Growing Joy with Maria. I'll definitely post a photo of the final outfit. So you say that our listeners probably aren't into witches, and you'd probably be right about that. But the Royal Botanic Gardens of Sydney podcast, Branch Out, did a, a podcast episode about witchcraft and I had to share it because they shared one of mine and I thought it was just really interesting. Also, I really liked the way that they edited the sound. It was really cool with like lots of <gasps> cool music at the start. So I reposted that one. Will you share it with me? Yes. Okay. I'm going to go find it. I got to go listen because <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated by the whole subject. And once again, it's like, why not invite a little bit more magic into your life if you can? So uh, I'm very, very curious about the whole thing. So I'd love to listen to that podcast. Sure. And for anyone listening, it's episode 112 of this podcast. It was a swap cast with Vanessa Fuchs from the Branch Out podcast. Very cool. So thanks for such a great chat, Marie. I really enjoyed it. And I hope our listeners got a lot out of it today. I hope so too. And um, yeah, if you ever want to talk about plants and wellness and all the fun uh, spiritual, uh, you know, emotional stuff behind plants. I'm, I'm here to chat, friends. You don't need to be a green witch to be connected with nature. You don't even need to use that kind of language if it doesn't feel right. But you deserve to enjoy your workday today. So check your posture and your breath, take your time with your work, and make joy a priority. We didn't get into horticulture because it's serious business. We got into horticulture because it's awesome and it's fun. If you enjoyed this episode, check the show notes for links to Maria's podcast or search Growing Joy on your favorite listening app. Also check the back catalog of Plants Grow Here where you'll find more content similar to this. Try my interviews with horticultural therapist Dr. Kate Neal in episodes 106, Therapeutic Horticulture, Gardening for Health and Wellbeing, and episode 142, Therapeutic Horticulture, Access, Belonging and Wellness. Some people even like to start at episode one and make their way through the whole back catalogue of over 190 podcast episodes. It'll take you a long time, but by the time you've finished, you'll definitely be a lot smarter and more capable in the garden.